0: You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today for episode 19. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindierwriters.com slash podcast slash 19 princess jones is joining me today as my guest co-host this is her third visit to the podcast and we'll be talking about issues that plague all writers at some point or another fear self-doubt and other confidence issues you can learn more about princess by visiting princessjones.com let's jump right in then to our pre-recorded conversation welcome back princess oh thank you for having me back i'm so excited to be back I always say that my best experience on podcast is with you. Oh, thank <laughs> you. So fear and confidence issues. Experienced pros like us, we never deal with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified all the time. So, just so you know, all the time. <laughs> I'm scared right now. <laughs> yes, I'm also an introvert, which no one believes. I'm not shy, but I feel like I have to go on and things like that. So before I do anything, even before I took this call with you, I was like, okay, it's going to be all right, just (laughs) like playing the Rocky music and everything. So in addition to fear of failure, fear of the lack of confidence, I also have introversion. So I'm perfect for this. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you say that, that you're not shy, because I actually am naturally a very shy person. I know, right? Right. <laughs> you, would, you, would right. Never, you would never think so. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So it's something I've had to overcome, too, and I still do on a frequent basis. Something you kind of cope with and you learn to manage, I guess. I figure if I uh, spout my big mouth often enough, it'll eventually feel natural. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. Me. So, you know, let's start with some of the common fears that writers face first. Let's start with fear of rejection. You know, sending out Mm -hmm. a query letter and you're worried, are they going to accept my, you know, article idea or my book proposal or whatever? And, you know, or you make a cold call and you're worried that somebody's going to say no. How do you deal with that? Well, for me, by doing it over and over again, like cold calling is how I started my freelance career. You're familiar with Peter Bowerman, right? Yeah, I love Peter. I've been doing freelance work in pieces when I, in college, and when I read his book, The Well-Fed Writer, I was like, oh, I am going to start a writing business. I am not just going to be doing this part-time and some, you know, whenever it comes my way, I'm going to be doing it full-time. His advice is cold calling. So, and I'm an introvert. I'm I almost never want to talk on the phone. And so these two things were very hard for me. But once I got in the schedule and once I repeated over and over again, it became less scary. And yeah. see, the way I deal with it is a little different in that I don't. <laughs> I don't deal with this particular fear <laughs> of rejection with queries and cold calling because I don't <laughs> do cold calling. And as I'm sure you know, I do something that I call query-free freelancing where my entire right. marketing strategy is more about various forms of inbound marketing and public relations where I attract clients to me. So in other words, they know they need me and that they want to work with me before we're ever in contact, and they reach out to me. So I'm in a position to reject them more than they're in a position mm-hmm. to reject me. So for those of you who, have a, who are absolutely terrified about being rejected – spend some time at All Indie Writers and look for some of the old posts on writer platforms and query-free freelancing. And you were talking about cold calling from Peter's book. While I don't do that now, I used to work for a major international nonprofit organization. I had to hire an entire call room um, Ah, of people who were out calling for (laughs) donations and managing these people and training these people. So it's not a foreign concept to me, and I understand what you go through when you do that. And I did do things like that earlier in my career. And on top of that, a big part of my job, well they were out you know, looking for smaller donations and volunteers, a big part of my job was calling CEOs around the area and trying to get larger Ugh. companies to make donations or to get involved in events. So I hated that part of my job, making these calls. But it turns out I was really good at it. Like you said, it's just practice and you get used to your speech. So, and along those lines, you know, it's the fear of being judged. And ah. yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. You want to run with that? I Listen, that's that's one of my top fears, okay? It's one of the reasons I hate looking for apartments. It's one of the reasons I'm a freelancer. And I start my own business because I hate looking for jobs. I hate showing up somewhere and saying, hey, please pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Yeah. Like That's what it felt like when I was job searching. And I didn't get completely away from it because I still have to get clients. But <laughs> True. the fear of being judged is just based on the fact that you will not be good enough, that you yeah. will be found lacking, that it will be your best, the best you could possibly do. And someone will look at it and say, well, that's not enough. I think that the best way I deal with that is to remind myself that, especially with writing, any creative thing you do, it is not a linear judgment. Obviously, grammar, uh, prose, that sort of thing is judgeable. But if someone doesn't like my style, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not a right fit for them. Part of the way I dealt with that is by finding people who like my style. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's and once I'm you saying. get, a, <laughs> yeah, once you find enough people that do that, when you come across someone who doesn't, you're like. Okay, that's fine because I still cause I still have validation from all these other things. For me, it's less about the freelance side. I I don't worry so much about being judged there, but with fiction, holy crap, it's a different story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness, different course.
0: story. I'm like two completely different people, and you know I've been writing fiction for years, and I've published very little of it. And most of that is under pen names. I have one blogger I posted some Flash Fiction where I've let colleagues from the freelance side, you know, see it. And it's more experimental, but it's out there. And I'm at the point now where this is the big year to start pushing in the horror community specifically, where I've been working on several short stories. I'm hashing out a screenplay now. And my goal is to get at least three of those short stories published in respectable genre publications. And I'm not at the point to pitch yet. That'll probably be this summer, but oh my God, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I'm writing something for a client, I'm I'm often using their research. I am trying to find their voice. I'm, I'm it's more about them. I'm not making it to my own liking. I'm making it to their liking. So if the final project is for them, but with fiction, it's all me. This exactly. is what I think is funny. This is what I think is interesting. So if someone doesn't you know, like it, well, okay. that means they don't like me. And so, I mean, this is not true. But I'm be, saying no, it's not, just not true, but I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that's what it is. Especially because this is horror. And, you know, most people, I guess they don't know my taste and such and that, and, I worry that I'm going to write something that's just a little too fucked up but I'm going to alienate people. Who know me <laughs> and they're through. like, what happened Other to her? her? She... <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 girl. <laughs> that I find myself scaling back, you know, or censoring myself a little bit in that genre because, well, because of that, because I'm worried, okay, I'm not afraid to offend people, you know, with my nonfiction. Right. I do it all the time. But, for fiction it's like i'm so worried that they're gonna think i'm totally fucked up in the head or i don't know i I don't even really know what i think people are gonna think that's so awful but i don't know i'm scared i should write a horror story about that (laughs) you should (laughs) and uh, so you write genre fiction um in horror and mystery correct Mysteries, yeah all right so my genre fiction is uh is fantasy and humor and there's nothing worse than thinking something is really really funny and no one else thinks it's funny (laughs) and so that's a that's a big fear of mine like when i'm having people read like drafts i'm like the first i i don't ask a lot like i'm not too worried about prose and things like i'm not too worried about that i mean we'll fix that editing we'll we'll work it out but i'm always like is this funny is it no did you really laugh (laughs) did you laugh out loud did you do a guffaw or did you like I I want them to like describe the type of laughter they said to me they had or if they didn't, I'm like, oh, why wasn't it funny? Is it because of this? Is it? And they're like, well, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I smiled. I'm like, a smile isn't enough because I need that. I have all the respect in the world for people who write humor because that, that is hard. Comedy is hard. Yeah, so that's the hardest type of writing there is. Well, we had Clint, for those who are newer to the site, Clint Osterholtz. He was on my team for All Indie Writers back when it was all freelance writing. And his job was to write humorous posts. He did a great job. I never could have. Thank goodness for people like Clint, because <laughs> I would have been hopeless. So seriously, mad respect if you're tackling comedy crazy all right so one more actually two more i lied <laughs> um i want to talk about you know social anxiety you're talking about being introverted and you know you're already talking about cold calling and i wanted mm-hmm. to bring this up because it was something that carrie lynn angle and i will link to carrie lynn's site she's a newer writer not new but a younger writer very bright i like her a lot i'll link to her so you can find her and check out i like out her too good i'm glad you know her she's wonderful Um, And she asked me once about dealing with anxiety when calling clients, you know, just talking to them on the phone. And so I wrote a post about it, which I'll also link to in the show notes. And I just wanted to share some of that here. What I had told her was one of the best things you can do in that situation where you have to talk to clients on the phone and you get nervous is schedule it early in your day because Mm -hmm. the more time you have to let that anxiety build up, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And at yep. the same time, set it up so you're the one making the call. Because if you're sitting there waiting, 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 and you're waiting for that noise to come out of your phone, <laughs> and it yeah. does, and it startles you, and it's like, oh, my God, now I have to talk to them. It's like, no, just you want to take control of the situation, go earlier and you know, take control of making that call. Um, so you're in that position. It, it, it is. It's a power position is what it comes down to put yourself in that position of power as much as possible wherever you feel anxiety and communicating and, you know, you'll start to get control of it a little bit better. I recently started having, I, I have a new client, pair of clients and they are partners and I know about the power position, right? I know that already <laughs> that I need to make the call and I need to, one of the other things I do is I kind of have, like three or four things written down that I want to get to, like points of conversation. That's a good idea. And that helps, that helps too. So I, I, I have a roadmap, but I got on the phone with them and I've been doing this a long time. And I got on the phone with them and just let them take me all over the place. Okay. <laughs> they talked to me for, I spent, I, I expected to have a 15 minute phone call. I, the phone call was 45 minutes. Oh, wow. I got none of the information I needed. <laughs> I agreed to stuff I would never have agreed to in my right mind in in the call. And it was partly anxiety um, over landing these clients. It was anxiety over having to talk on the phone with them. I left it till like 2 p.m. instead of doing it earlier. So it was hanging over my head all day long. Just, oh, you got to make this call. You got to make this call. So what I did was I got off that phone call and I said, you're going to fix this. And the next (laughs) time I spoke with them, I control the call. Like there's also yeah. people who don't hire freelancers, you know? Okay. So they have no idea how it works. So they're telling me their life story and about their kids. Right. And I'm like, I just try I'm just trying to get the tone of this piece, like and they're like, Tone, you know what's good? Tony's pizza. Like and I'm just letting them like run over this. <laughs> you know what I'm, so, You know exactly the type of client I'm talking about. Yes, they're I good do. people, but they're not used to this. So I went back and I did everything that I knew I should have done. I scheduled it earlier. I was the person that made the phone call. I had everything written down. And if I felt we were going off track, I pushed us right back on track. Good. Phone call went completely different. I lost 45 minutes of my life the day before, but that's fine. <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> and one of these things, too, is um, – you know, if you are worried that you're going to have that kind of anxiety or that you're not going to be prepared for the call, try to schedule them together. So you're literally bouncing from one to another. You kind of cut mm. out that risk of that 15 minute call turning into 45 minutes. If you say, okay, hey, you know, I, I've got 15 minutes, I have another call at this time, and you kind of get to bounce yourself around. And if you don't what I sometimes recommend and I think this was in the article for Carolyn too, even if you don't have another call after, still set something up before because then you will have been on the phone for a while and you're gonna to want to get off the phone faster. Um but it also yeah. helps you make that conversational jump where you're not stressing. So have a good friend yeah. call you or something and just chat. So you're in that, you know, that conversational tone, you're talking, you're comfortable. And you see on the client, okay, I got to call the client now and just kind of go and take it from there. It's a little easier. So just final
1: tip on that. Can I also just something
0: yeah. that I don't expect you to co-sign on? But lying's also good. If you <laughs> say, <laughs> I definitely do I, not. <laughs> I, I know you don't want to co-sign on it. I know. I'm not going to drag you into this with me. Oh, I'm no. not going to drag you down to the mud with me. But I have before lied and said, hey, if I don't have another phone call set up afterwards, I say that I do anyway. Okay, so instead of saying, "Listen, I have 20 minutes for this call. That's all I have," and 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 also to shut them down from it, I also say, "You know, I have another appointment. I'm I'm another meeting, another phone call, whatever." And this is something I'm I'm not gonna. This is completely Princess Jones endorsing this, not Jennifer, <laughs> not Jennifer. Okay, but if you gotta lie a little bit, I don't judge you. Okay. Just like, you know, <laughs> may may I maybe <laughs> tweak your suggestion a little bit so it's a little more, <laughs> <laughs> more ethical? <Sure. laughs> another option instead of just flat out lying and saying you have another appointment, go ahead and make one. make yeah, plans. Okay. Make plans. It doesn't have to be an appointment with another client. Make plans to go out to the freaking park with your dog. <laughs> right. Or even if it's to make plans it, to put it to on watch your, your DVR. calendar. Yeah. Put something on your calendar and say, okay, I need to stop because I have something else going on. They don't need to know what that something else is. <laughs> and it keeps you honest. You're crazy. I, oh I knew you weren't going to want to co-sign on it. I said, you know what? I'm going to have to go out on a limb on my own on this one. No, I, I, can, <laughs> look, I can be a hard-ass about things, but I'm not so much that I'm going to advocate lying to get your way. <laughs> no. Oh, Well, my. I never heard anybody, kids. doing it. <laughs> I oh, do no. <laughs> This is the Princess Jones show you're listening to. <laughs> okay, I think there's a <laughs> possibility. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's move on to um, beyond fears now. Let's move on to self-doubt. That's a big issue with writers. I mean, we kind of oh. touched on it a little bit in the sense of feeling like you're not good enough. Like No matter how good your work is, no matter how many times you revise something or edit something, it's just never uh-huh. going to be good enough. I don't really deal with that well, <laughs> so I'm gonna leave this one to you. Well, all right. So, like I said, I write genre fiction. I'm an, indie, I'm an indie writer, so I publish something probably every three months, and I'm writing shorter. So, I I honestly don't have time for that. Like, there's no <laughs> time for it. <laughs> and in fact, so I live in Austin, Texas. I recently moved here about two years ago. I know a lot of writers around here. Most of them are not independent writers. Most of them are uh, traditionally published. Most of them have like teaching jobs and they write literature, okay. In fact I was just speaking to um our mutual friend Yolander and I was telling her about well, how everyone Yolander's I know Yolander's website too because we love her. She, she's really awesome. And I she was like I was <laughs> telling her how I'm so different from all the writers I know personally and she said, What's the difference between you and them? And I said, they would describe their writing as poignant or heartbreaking or <laughs> that sort of thing. And that's, that's that's the type of stuff I write. I write good stories, funny stuff, things that you would enjoy. And <laughs> I dare you to go to those other writers and put it that way. <laughs> and I, I have. And they was like, oh, okay, okay. And I was, I was like, I just, there's, we're not going to be doing a lot of symbolism in my books. I'm sorry, but it's, just, it's about the ride. And so... I sometimes that puts a lot of self doubt in me because, because I'm an indie writer and they are traditional writers. I am on a different path than they are. My timelines are different. Um, how I promote myself is different. Uh, they're in a lot of, um, mainstream media. Okay. So I might hear them on the radio or see them on TV and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm not on TV, but I'm in a whole different place than they are. Yeah. And it's not that one's better or worse. In fact, I probably make more money than a lot of they do. A lot of them do, even yeah. though they have nice contracts and they and their faces are on things. I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. But the truth is, in some ways, I'm I'm doing better than they are. But it still brings in a lot of self doubt because it feels like I'm not getting as much validation. Sure, I don't have to deal with an agent and a you know <clears throat> and a publishing house and all these other things, but it, though in a funny way, those things also do a lot of validating for you because there's someone saying this is good, this is this this should be published, this should be read, and you can say, oh, well, this person thinks that. So for me, my my fast timeline helps me not be so worried about self doubt because I don't have the time for it. If I if I even take like a week to say to myself, this is not very good. Or I'm, I'm never going to be able to make this good, then I'm, I'm off the time schedule. The other thing is something that I learned, or I don't want to even say I learned. It's something I've been telling myself for a while now. And it really helped when I first started writing fiction because (laughs) my, the first book I ever wrote was so small, it was like, uh, I was like 25,000 words. But it took me like four years to write it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because I was revising and revising and revising and worried and who's gonna and and finally, a friend told me I believe it was Lander as well who told me that no matter how many times I looked at it, it was always I was always gonna find something to make better, Mm -hmm. and this was always gonna be my worst book. And I was I was really upset with her, and I was like, "How dare you!" <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "No, you're going to write so many books. You have so many ideas. You have so many creative things coming out of you that you're going to write so many things. And this will always be the worst book yeah. because it was, it's your first book. You know, that's and the one next of the things be I better. love about Yolanda. She was the only person I let critique any portion of my first mystery early on, and mm-hmm. I love her because she is." There's just no bullshit out of her mouth ever. She No, no I love her. No. <laughs> I had like I've had bro breakdowns. So um that that first book I was talking about was, was a little small, like um a retelling of, of Red Riding Hood and I okay. it was great to get that out of my system and like like I can writing was a series about a bubbling superhero. And so I started to write about this character. And that book took me forever to write. And I finally, I, I had to give it to Yolanda. I was like, please read this. Please read this. <laughs> <laughs> and she read it and she said, this is so good. And I was like, it's the worst thing I've ever written. <laughs> and, she's, <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's good. And the next thing you write, will going to be better. And the next thing after that's going to be better. And the last book you always wrote will always be your best book because you'll learn so much more. But you can't get there one. until you start writing. Good to revise, obviously, and I'm not one of those people who thinks you should rush something to market either. Um, yeah. Now, in my case, uh, with the mystery specifically, my big issue is I'm t- I'm taking a slow path to market, and I'm not thrilled about that. But it's actually more about the marketing. I set the series up in a way that I really want to have three books, ideally, ready to go within like a month or two of each other. And right. there is a, I have, I'm big on ancillary products. If you can find a way to make more money from your brand, from a series, do it. And in this case, I'm not going to give away exactly what it is, but basically it's a type of game that I am able uh-huh. to create and sell that is a perfect tie into to the book. And on top of all of that, I've set this up that this series will actually tie into another series. Like I actually have a spinoff planned for the series. <laughs> so oh this, my goodness! I when I go in with a really deep marketing plan, I tend to do really well. And I wanted this particular series to do really well, so I'm I'm really banking on all this investment up front <laughs> paying off later, and this is going to be the ultimate test of my marketing and PR abilities. I think. But um, I'm very confident in the plan. So, so yeah, it's not always about perfectionism, uh, you know, taking your time yeah. and everything. But that's well, still playing its role. <laughs> so, like we were talking about self-doubt, yeah. I think that, I think everybody has it. I think it's really hard to get rid of it. But I'm, I'm still a work in process myself. One of the things I'm doing right now is I'm, one, making it a point to surround myself with people that are going through the same things I am so that, I don't feel alone in it. I don't feel like it's just me. Yeah. And I am, like, I only know a handful of indie writers who I could, like, send an email to or an IM to right now, but I'm going to find some more that are in my area so that when I am hanging out with other writers, I can hang out with people who, who are going through the same thing I am, and I'm not doubting myself because it seems like I'm the only one. And... The other thing is I I have great feedback from people. Uh, Like we mentioned Yolander. Yolander is my editor and she um, is also a good friend. And so she reads my stuff and she tells me what sucks. And she's so, so then when she doesn't say anything sucks, I'm so excited because I know she would not (laughs) lie to me. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, and, and sorry, uh, I don't normally recommend having friends edit, but you know Yolanda is an exception because she I, yes, <laughs> she wouldn't have it in she her the sugar coat. <laughs> so. No, she does. She has no idea. Like she, she has no. And in fact, I, I used to I, I get a lot of um, advice from her, but I realized that I did not was not asking her for advice. I wanted her to tell me I could do something I could not do. So, and she'd always give me the right answer. I'd be like, Oh, you think I could do this? And she'd be like, Nope. That's it. So I made myself a little Yolanda puppet. I put a little, <gasps> oh, I've got no. a. i got ai want to see that. I, I want to see that. <laughs> okay, I'll take a picture of it. It's just, it's just a proud of her face. And I got it on like a what is that the, the popsicle stick, <laughs> and I just look at him like, do you think that I could? Nope. <laughs> and i was like, all right, you're right, you're right, you're right. May I, I put that, that picture? In, I just, May I put that picture in the post for the podcast? <laughs> yes, I will send it to you. <laughs> it, it is super helpful, and it's also, but the real tip there is to surround yourself with people who are honest about their feelings and their takes on things, so that you can believe them. So it helps with the validation. It helps with the backup. And it also it it just helps you say, okay, I think this is good. This person I trust thinks it's good. This person I trust thinks it's good. I'm going to believe them. And that's my problem is unfortunately a lot of the editors that I know in my network know me as a bit of a hard ass on the site and <laughs> they have that history. So it's like, they're afraid to tell me something because they're afraid I'm going to freak out. It's like, I can actually take the criticism quite well. It's really mm-hmm. fine, but they don't believe it's fine. So, yes, right under is fabulous. Or you just need to find someone that you don't have a connection to. That's right. helpful, too. So, you know, the next thing with self-doubt is, is that sometimes writers don't feel like they have anything to offer clients. They feel like, well, why would they pay me $100 an hour if so-and-so halfway around the world is going to work for 5 bucks? And that's where your USP comes in, which is your unique mm-hmm. selling proposition, or some people like to say your unique selling position. And it's basically what sets you apart from the competition. And I'll link to a post on that, too, uh, over at the show notes, which will be at com slash podcast slash 19 and really, there is something special. About you. you might not realize what it is right now, but there's something about you that's different. And the key is figuring out what that is and tying your specialty to that, if at all possible. So I'm going to give you an example. And it's a little bit weird as an example because it's not my specialty. <laughs> but if I were to choose a narrower industry-focused specialty right now, I could very easily target automotive markets. I studied auto mechanics. I studied mechanical engineering for a couple of years. I won a statewide automotive marketing competition. And those are all things that make me different than your average copywriter. And that's on top of my copywriting experience. So if I wanted to write copy for automotive companies, you know, automotive manufacturers or parts manufacturers or dealerships or anything like that, I would have a really good USP there with my unique mix of experience and education and achievement and make me wonder why I didn't do that in the first place. (laughs) But eh. it turned out okay. (laughs) But if I ever needed to rethink things, that's something to think about. And there's something Mm -hmm. about you. Maybe you studied some obscure courses or something, or maybe you have a degree in an interesting area or maybe you're just a parent of twins you know that itself would give you an interesting angle to target parenting publications because you can talk from a perspective that most parents don't have so yeah other writers might be parents but are they parents of multiples no then you have an interesting spin on things and it's just little things like that think about your hobbies have you been Collecting something for years. Have you? Do you make something? Do you? Just there's something. There's something about you. I don't know what it is, but you do <laughs> somewhere yeah. deep down. You know well, what it is. I also think that we time we tend to forget or we overlook our things because they they're just so we're so used to seeing them. Yeah. So uh, I, I was telling you this before we started the podcast about how when I moved to Austin. I started specializing when I moved here. I decided I was going to specialize. I've been trying for years. <laughs> I could never get it off, and I neatly, my tax bracket changed because I finally gotten a very specific, unique selling proposition. But, and what is, I started writing for food and drink businesses, okay? So okay. think restaurants, think food trucks, think things that are in that fall within the hospitality uh arena that sort of thing. Before I did this, I would have never considered myself like I was like, oh, I don't know what my I don't know what my specialty is. I don't know what I am. I I, I couldn't have told you. But then I was talking to other people and again, I hate to keep mentioning her, but Yolanda <laughs> was one of them and she asked me a couple of questions and I've been working in food since I was 15 years old. I've done a lot of things, but I've always had a side job. I've always done, I've always been waitressing. I've always done the marketing for some chain or I've done this. And, and it became to, I started thinking about all the things I've done. I've done so much in that area. But if you'd asked me, Princess, what's your specialty? I was like, I don't know. I, I do everything. And that's not a real answer. One of the ways that I was able to do this was I sat down and I just started writing all of my accomplishments, all the things I was good at, all the things I had experienced in. And then I just started sorting them, putting them in the piles. And the the food and drink pile was so big. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did win that. Oh, yeah, I did do this. And just because you live with it every day and it's really, I don't know, I guess we're, we're taught from like young ages not to talk so well about ourselves. Like don't tell anybody how great you are. <laughs> don't keep mentioning all your accomplishments don't keep saying you're a winner or whatever. And and it's ingrained in us. We're we're not supposed to sit around thinking how amazing we are, apparently. So, all right. So let's know, you know, we've been kind of talking about confidence, you know, among the fear and self doubt and everything else, a little here and there. But one thing I really want to drive home to listeners is that you might be newer at this and feel like this is never going to end or that you're the only one dealing with it or Those experienced pros, what do they know? You know, they don't remember what this is like, and you wouldn't believe how often I (laughs) how often I hear that from people that think you don't remember. You don't. If you're in that position, (laughs) yeah, yeah. you don't. You think that because you can do it because you you're in this position. to Do this. Well, I wasn't always here. Exactly, and it's not even that. I want you to understand that these things don't go away. There is not some time you're not going to have any more confidence issues. No matter how experienced we are, they still come up from time to time. And any writer who tells you that they never, never have any fear or self doubt or conscience, they are full of shit. They do. They might not want to admit, but they do. Even if it's just a little, you know, just that little nagging thought every now and then, every writer has to deal with it in some way at some time, Mm -hmm. no matter how Mm -hmm. long we've been at this game. So you are not alone in this. And we don't forget what that feels like when you're more experienced. What happens is it might happen less often, or we simply learn how to control it a little bit better. We've learned how to manage it. Like princess said early on in the show, it doesn't go away. It's just something that we learn to deal with and we get better at hiding it. We really do. We hide it. An example here is think about public speaking. Now, I have, I've I got my degree in PR. I was trained in public speaking, how to handle a press conference, run a press conference. And just in general, public speaking is a strong point for me. But it scares the hell out of me whenever I'm about mm-hmm. to do it. Even when I record the podcast like this, I get a little bit nervous. I have to review my notes several times and think, okay, am I ready? And then with a call like this when I have a guest co-host, Princess and I chatted for a good 40 minutes before we actually started yeah. recording the show. So we got ourselves... Yeah, and I hope you guys of- never hear what we were talking about. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll, be, that'll be next week, behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That now outtakes from all my guest hosts. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the warm-up thing. <laughs> and we still need that sometimes. You know, we have to ease into things. Yeah. We have to psych ourselves up for things and it's not going to go away but no you're not alone you know and now talk to other writers you'll hear that they're going through similar things and find out how they're dealing with it i just think that's important that you understand that the confidence issues are not exclusive to you now i'm going to share another example because i posted something a couple of weeks ago on the blog where i talked about my health issues and i had been dealing with chronic health problems for between 2 and 3 years total and it took a toll on my business for a while. I had to take three months off. And it wasn't until the end of that third year, which was last November, when I finally healed and everything was okay again and I was healthy. And it was like somebody flipped the switch in me. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I felt like me again. And I had energy like I haven't had in a long time. And a part of, unfortunately, a part of, The issue when I was sick was that I put on a lot of weight very quickly. And I mean, a lot of weight very, very quickly. And so when this happened in November, all of a sudden that weight just started melting off. But while it was there for those couple of years, that even affected my confidence. Like body confidence issues can come into play. And for me, you know, I deal mostly with clients internationally. So, it wasn't an issue of having to deal with them face to face. But for me, it was more like, well, I'm certainly not going to take on any kind of a speaking engagement right now. And I was planning on doing a video series here on the site. And I had been asked actually to do several video interviews and I turned them down. um, Partly because of confidence, but more because I didn't want to do third party videos until I had my own on my site first. And I kept putting it off and putting it off because You know, when the weight finally came to my face, which was like the last place it hit, it was like, oh, my God, I don't want that to be what I look like the first time I post a video on this site. And so, yeah, I mean, even that kind of a confidence can really come into play. And I know you're not going to do videos, but you might do video chats with clients, or you might do speaking engagements, or you might just be thinking about going to a conference or other networking event. And that kind of confidence issue can hurt you if you kind of isolate yourself. So understand that. You know, and I know other freelancers who have body image issues right. that cause confidence problems. And, and we're at home all day, and we don't. Yeah. We're not in front of people, and then you suddenly you are. Yeah. And you're like, is this? I, do I want to be represented this way? And exactly. You know, what are they going to think about me? So again, just know that you know it's not just you, and it's okay. <laughs> And I you know, I was very lucky in that the issue of this extra weight coming on was a health issue that thankfully I was able to resolve and now it's melting mm-hmm. off like crazy with no effort, which is freaking fantastic. And it makes a difference. Just those little things, it makes a difference. You know, it's not always mental. Some, you know, there sometimes you have the physical component and you know, I know writers who I don't think really... like the way they talk even. You know, and right? they get nervous about that and because you know, when you write, you can you can edit yourself. You can go yeah, back and make it pretty. And exactly. When you talk, you gibber jabber I agree with you. I think everybody has it. I think everybody goes through this. I think anyone who's saying that they don't is lying. So I think it's so important to surround yourself with people who understand. Mm. And just keep remembering that the, the best way to conquer fear is to try to face it. I'll tell you about a little project I, I used to do. I used to take terrible pictures, like from the time I was a kid. And it was a confidence issue. It was also a a shyness issue. It was, because I did used to be shy when I was younger. Um, It was all those things. And so as an adult, I was like, I cannot take a picture for anything. Like, I don't even know how to make my face look okay in a picture. Why am I always looking like I'm having a stroke? What is going on? I I feel fine. And so what I did, (laughs) what I did was, for about two months, I took a picture of myself every day. Whether good or bad or whatever it looked like, I took a picture of myself. I didn't show them to anybody. But eventually, I want to say like even just a couple of weeks in, I got better at it. It stopped being worrisome. I was like, okay, I'm going to take a picture today. May not be the best picture I've ever taken, but it's going to be a good representation of what I look like. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I look like. So it's going to be okay. Towards the end, I was taking fabulous pictures because I, what I was doing was I was just practicing. I was taking the scary out of it because I was doing it every day. And I was also just making, you know, making it not a, a once in a while thing. So that's been helpful with me with a lot of, it's kind of like something I do all the time when I'm scared of something. So when I was a little afraid to meet other writers in person, I started. I said, okay, once a month you're going to go somewhere, there are going to be other writers, and you're just going to talk to them. And I started – here in um, Austin, there's the the Texas Writers Association. Okay. And so I started going there. And so and I talked about the first time I started writing fiction – I was super scared of it, and I was—I just figured it wouldn't be any good, and you Yolanda you yelled at me, and then I was like, all right, fine, it's good. And and, and I put it out there, and people liked it, and people started buying, and I was like, oh, it's crazy. So I will advise anybody out there who's listening to this and struggling through fear and anxiety, try it one step at a time, okay? Don't let it paralyze you. Don't let it put you in a position where, where you can't, make any movement whatsoever moving forward. Just try one little step at a time. I used to watch this show. It was for people with OCD and with, like, other anxiety problems. And what they – I don't know what it was called, but it was sometimes a therapy. And what they would do is they would, like, put you in the worst therapy ever. Like, whatever situation you were afraid of, they would put you in it. And, okay, this was a terrible show, by the way, because it was a reality <laughs> oh, TV show. Oh, no. I should not have been watching it at all. But one, woman, <laughs> one woman's anxiety was that – she was afraid to drive because she kept thinking she was driving over kids, like hitting kids with her car. Any oh bump God. she felt, it, it was like a real fear of hers. <laughs> so they would have her drive around the parking lot and throw a baby at the car and be like, and so she could practice what would happen if she actually hit a baby. She did it so many times that, like, once she's, like, gone through it, it felt like the worst has happened. This is how I would deal with that. Obviously, I hope she never hits a baby, but still. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember watching that, and I was like, you know, this is a terrible show I'm watching. But at the same time, this is, <laughs> I shouldn't be watching this at all. I should really, like, do something with my life. But at the same time, this makes a lot of sense. And when you kind of go into your worst-case scenarios, then you kind of see that you live through them. And if you can live through them, then you can take what happens, and, and it gives you a little bit more strength. So try that. Just one step at a time. See what happens when you do something that you're scared of. I love would that have. princess. He's now told he's now told my listeners to lie that it's a good idea <laughs> that it's a good idea to numb someone to the idea of hitting a baby with a car. <laughs> Listen, I at the time when I first saw the preview this is how I started watching the show. I was like, Are they throwing a baby? And and the woman was screaming and I was like, This is not good. But it's still is it, the concept behind it's better than what they were doing. And if you can find this on YouTube or something, you should watch it, but don't, like, don't go to those people. They're not good therapists. <laughs> the official all-indie writer's position is that we don't support <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh my don't you goodness. love having me on this show, man? I do. <laughs> <laughs> you never thought this was going to come out. <laughs> It's this is good. not how you thought this was going to go. No, but I <laughs> I do support, you know, the concept of taking it one step at a time like that. Just maybe not yeah. babies and cars. And you so. see you're not going to die. You see it's not going to be terrible. You see it's and then you take another step. It's okay. Just as long as you're moving forward. Just one exactly. little step at a time. I'm going to give you guys yeah. another tip. This is, again, from my experience with public speaking and something that works well for me now with clients Is that when I get up in front of people, you know how they tell you to picture everybody in their underwear? I always thought that was absolutely stupid, but whatever. People Um, are so scary in their underwear. (laughs) So. So, the general concept is not a bad concept. The idea is to kind of make them a little more vulnerable, I guess. It almost puts you a level above them in some way, or at least on equal footing with them. And, you know, I don't particularly care for that model. What I try to remember is that. Everybody in that audience is just a person. They're just people. They're not special. They're not more important than me. They're not more important than anyone else in the room. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of my own clients because I treat my clients the same way. I've worked with CEOs of large corporations. I've worked with professional athletes. I've worked with musicians from well-known bands. I've worked with indie artists with huge cult followings. And I treat them all the same. I treat them the same way that I would treat princess or that I would treat you if I met you. I'm good to you at first. If you're an asshole, I'm going to you know, treat you as such. <laughs> if you fuck up, I'm going to tell you. And that's what my clients hire me for. I do not kiss their ass. I do not play the role of yes, man, just to please them. I don't go all fangirl. I am there to do a job. I'm there to help them. My interest is in helping them out as a client and not, trying to get something out of them or trying to impress them in any way other than what they hired me to do. And when you're dealing with a prospect or a client, I think it's really important. You know, that helps me with public speaking, but on a one-on-one basis, you know, that kind of mentality really helps too and it can be important because it helps you remember that you are a professional, that you have something that they want that They're not above you. They're coming to you for help. And when you get yourself in that frame of mind where you realize that you're on equal footing, this is just another person, nothing special here, just another person. Tell yourself that over and over again. This is just another person. It makes you a little more comfortable in talking to them. You don't necessarily feel judged quite as much to something we had talked about earlier. And frankly, it'll help you make the sale because they're going to feel like you're more relatable. And you want to be that. You don't want to be, you know, the stick in the mud type. You also don't want to be the ass kisser type. Find somewhere in between, and that can help. So that's just a little add-on tip that I may or may not. All right, I'm <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna say something now Uh-oh. that Jennifer's gonna have to do another ah! disclaimer about. Oh no! <laughs> but if you, in some ways, you actually know more about this than they do. Keep that in yes. mind. And no matter how much they know about what they're doing, you know more about this. This is what you do with it, deal with every day. So you're actually not quite on equal footing in some ways because you're, you're here to teach them and explain to them. And in fact, most of the people I've met that are clients or that, are, that have come to me for writing or for design or anything like that, they know so little that they're a little freaked out too. The reason they're paying you is because they need you because they need the service. You provide something valuable. It's so important to remember how valuable what you're providing is. If they could do it, if they have the time and expertise to do it, they would have already done it and saved themselves some money. But they don't have those things. You do, though. Exactly. Exactly. I approve. <laughs> okay. Oh, what? I got one. are <laughs> <laughs> <A> we keeping score. <laughs> one more thing I want to say if you have major confidence issues. Figure out what you have going mm-hmm. for you that somebody else doesn't. In other words, use what you got. You know, In my case, I have a surefire method to close most deals, and that is I get on the phone. I don't like to get on the Mm -hmm. phone. I've mentioned this before. I do most of my business via email. I hate taking calls. Most of my clients are overseas, so the time difference makes it tough sometimes. I had to stop giving out my phone number because I had clients who were calling me in the middle of the night. So I don't like to do this. But if things look a little iffy via email, I will usually set up a call. And the vast majority of the time, I land a contract. With men, I have landed a contract 100% of the time because I know how to turn on the soft, sweet voice that's mixed with just enough confidence that they can't seem to resist it. I've actually had clients ask me out. (laughs) It's it's really, really weird. That happened a lot back in my music PR days, too, when all my clients were pretty much young 20-something-year-old guys. (laughs) But yeah, I know how to, you, know, you probably don't hear it as much in the podcast because, you know, right now I'm, I'm shooting the shit with Princess and it's a little different. I'm not turning it on for right now, but that's softer, sweeter. It's just a talent. <laughs> I try to only use it for good. <laughs> so but that's what works for me. And what's interesting is I've only had two incidences where I did not land a contract, both with females, but in other cases, what I've heard from women is that the tone that I get when I'm talking to them about business, it's again, it's that softness combined with enough authority in what I'm talking about that to them, whereas with, you know, men, it's a little different with women. What I've heard is that it makes them feel like they can trust me. They feel like they can talk to me more because of that softness, but I still sound confident enough that they can just, they trust it and they feel comfortable And so it works very well with women, too. Now, I don't know why I'm able to do that, but it's just a talent. And you may have a similar talent. I say use it, whether it's how you can present yourself in person. If you go to -to face-to-face meetings with local clients, then set up more of those meetings if that's your strong suit. Mm -hmm. If you're really good at closing a deal on the phone, then close a deal on the phone. And... If you're really good with writing a pitch, then try to focus on email pitching. But whatever that one thing is, there's something about you that you can use to close a sale. There's something about you that makes you more marketable. And, yeah, you know, turning on the charm on the phone might be a little underhanded sometimes. But the clients are never disappointed. So. And and no, what, it's not what underhanded. It's, <laughs> what you have. it's it's definitely not underhanded. It's a it's a talent that you have and you use it in your business. And especially I want to especially make sure that the that the listeners understand that that if you are so if you if you lack so much confidence that you're in a space where it's very hard for you to to use your best assets or to understand what you're best at, ask other people. Ask your friends. Okay. Um, the ones that tell the truth. <laughs> ask, your- <laughs> ask your lander <laughs> the clients. Yeah, ask your lander if you can <laughs> find your lander and ask her, and she'll let you know what's good about you. Also, ask your clients that you're that you're actually working with now, or the people that yeah. you're working with now. Ask them what they like the most about working with you, and use that to get exactly. more clients. I mean, you got to use what. Okay, this is so. This is I'm about to give you a quote and it's not a, it's not from a good movie you should be watching. It's oh, no. called The Players Club. It's from like the 90s. It's about a strip club and it has Ice Cube in it. But uh, you probably shouldn't watch this movie. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the line right now. It's called. It, she says, "You got to use what you got to get what you want." We're going to change that a little bit. You have to use the skill sets you have to further your business. It's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. Okay, and 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 In my case, I didn't realize that was a strong suit for me, actually, until a client, well, we started moving into more email exchanges than calls, and he actually got really upset that we weren't (laughs) talking on the phone as much, and it wasn't until, you know, I asked him why, because everything, you know, we were doing everything that needed to be done, everything was in writing, it was good, and he just came right out and told me that he really liked listening to my voice. And I was a little, like, creeped out. (laughs) (laughs) Still, that's even better. (laughs) That's even better. It was such a natural talent and such a natural thing that you used that you didn't even know you were using. You're just like, I just have a feeling that when I talk to people, it works. So I'm going to talk to people. That's okay, too. And I think that what happened in my case there was I think that the uh, initially that softness on the phone and you know just the overall tone that I was using, I guess, it was partly because I was trying to make them feel easy with something that they didn't understand going into our relationship. You know, teaching mm-hmm. them something. Remember, I was doing PR consulting at that time, so it was a lot more consulting. Um, There's still a lot of writing involved, but I did a lot of consulting work, so there was a lot more work on the phone. And I had to talk them through it. Here's why we do this. Here is why we do not do this thing that's going to land you in the media for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And especially because I was working so much with musicians, I really, it was kind of a cross between you have to be appealing to keep the attention and you also are kind of in mama mode. Like, I would literally, Mm -hmm. you know, like, no, you can't get drunk at your next show. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> so it's like this: you have to kind of coax them into doing the right thing sometimes with that particular kind of market, those types of clients in that particular area. And so I think that's kind of how that started. But it actually wasn't until that small business client had said that to me that it really occurred to me that that's what I was doing, even though it had always worked so well. So you never know. You might have a talent that you're not aware of <laughs> like you know like princess yeah. said ask people because they're going to notice things about you that you don't see all right now one more topic i want to hit on before we close out here and that is okay. they fake it till you make it bullshit <laughs> <laughs> this is something that comes up whenever writers talk about confidence and like how What are they saying? Oh, well, I've seen some experienced writers telling new folks is you fake it till you make it. In other words, pretend to be more successful than you are so clients think you're more Mm. successful or lie about your schedule so they think you're in more demand than you are. And then you'll suddenly be in demand. And so fake it till you make it is really good advice and it's really bad advice when it's given wrong. It depends <laughs> on that. what. If, yeah. It depends if, on how you're faking it. <laughs> exactly. If faking it means lying, don't do it. That is just, that is a stupid way to run a business. And I'm sorry, because I know you told them to lie before. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I told them to say, oh, I told them to tell a little white lie. I have somewhere to be. <laughs> Not, look at look at my $100 million business. and it's a dollar business. I'm glad to know (laughs) Priscil has has drawn a line in the sand here. (laughs) I've drawn a line. I do promote lying. I do promote lying. I I like to be small lies, and I like them not to be the type of lies that lie about who you are I, I don't want to lie. I don't. I don't like to lie about that. I mean, yeah. Telling someone you have to get off the phone because you got to go somewhere is a whole different <laughs> category than having well, a fake business. Oh no, <laughs> no, no! no. I, not, not even a fake business. I'm just talking about, um, like, telling people. Oh, sorry, I'm booked up for the next three weeks. So, therefore, you know, Why? to make yourself look like you're in demand. This is what they're trying to do. <laughs> I don't understand it. I I think it's <laughs> <frickin'> <laughs> ridiculous. I understand. The you know the premise that you want to make them think you're in demand so that they're willing to pay more, but it's bullshit. Don't do that. Just don't do it. You know what? If you need that gig, take the damn gig and get paid for it sooner. Don't oh you know, wait. Cut off. Okay, but, I'm completely misunderstanding. So wait they they have the time to take the gig. They want to take the gig, but they say they can't yes. so that people think they're in demand. Yeah. That's crazy. So, that, so they'll pay more. <laughs> this is the kind of advice I've seen given to new writers. And it's what? so stupid. You, look, just just don't just don't lie. Let's just I'm gonna cut it right there. I'm gonna say ignore pretty What if, what princess, if they go get, get someone else? <laughs> what if they get Why? someone else? Because what if they really believe well, you and they go, Oh, he's too busy to work she's too busy to work with me so I need to find someone yes. who, who has the time to take up that That's crazy. Happened. But honestly, in my own experience, when I'm booked, clients are almost always willing to go on a waiting list. Almost always. Sure. Because they immediately think, well, if you're in that much demand, then you must be worth waiting for. But lying about being in demand, you know, what happens if they find that out? It's I said okay. the same thing. You never know. They're going to be on Twitter tomorrow <laughs> talking about how bored you are. You don't have any work to do. Is anybody like, <laughs> are you crazy? I don't understand how that would even work. So no it's it's so that, yeah. that reminds me, no, don't lie, that reminds me of remember the rules, Remember that <laughs> remember <laughs> remember how they would tell you not to take any dates before a certain day and not to do this mm-hmm. and not to do that even if even if you weren't doing anything this weekend, if someone calls you by doesn't call you by Wednesday, you can't go on a date with them. like well, then you just stay home by yourself when you wanted to go, <laughs> like I don't understand, yeah, I know it's this this is playing it is. game. It is. Don't do it. <laughs> on it my mind. Don't do it. Don't lie. That is not what mind. that is not what fake it till you make it is supposed to mean. Don't do it. Now, when I say it can be good advice, that's not faking your experience or the demand that you're in. No. It's faking that confidence. You know, that's oh, what yeah. you need to do. You need to just put on a shelf, pretend you're confident, you know, get into character before you get on the phone or before you meet with a client and you yeah. know, convince yourself. You don't have to be confident. I am not confident most of the time, but I can speak mm, confidently neither. about something because I get myself into a certain mindset before I approach that kind of situation. Whether that's speaking to a group or speaking to a client or trying to land a gig with a prospect. The next time you're like, "Come be on the podcast," and they'll be like, "I'm too busy," so that you think that i in demand, <laughs> and then you will want me more. I'll <laughs> be like, "I'm on all the podcasts. I'll be on the Nerdist this week." <laughs> this is I, that doesn't that, that doesn't even make any sense. And you're right. There are certain things that you can't that are okay to borrow until you have it yourself, and that is confidence, exactly. and that is certain types of like if you're If you're confident in what you're doing and maybe you have a little anxiety or something, and it's okay to borrow that bravery from a character or from talking to a friend beforehand or listening to the rocky theme song, whatever it is that gets you to the <laughs> position where you can function as a confident anxiety free person, that's okay to do that. It's not okay. <laughs> To misrepresent who you are, nope. and, and play games because people don't like to be played with. If you happen to be free, then be free. What is exactly. wrong with you, reader, uh, listeners? Do not do this. Okay, this is no. not. It, it doesn't <laughs> end well. Even if you get a little shine from it, you're, someone's gonna find out. You're gonna look stupid. Yeah. You might even get sued depending on what yeah. you've done. So yeah. don't do this. Yeah, it's, borrow it's, confidence, not experience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, don't yeah. borrow. So, don't don't borrow someone's portfolio. Borrow confidence. That's what. difference. Oh God, knows That's yeah. what you should do. Yeah, it's. I, I know writers not who have stolen from other people's portfolios, but who have had their work stolen and used from other writer's portfolio. It's crazy. Don't do that well. yeah. So But yes, yeah. Go, you know, fake I, the confidence. Don't fake anything else. The moral of this episode is don't lie. That's really what it comes down to. Do not lie. I, I'm sorry. My moral's different. Lie a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie about that kind of stuff. Oh, don't lie about that kind of stuff, dude. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's, oh, do well, it's up to you. Somebody's going to find out. choose a side. Just <laughs> lie a little bit. Uh, and this is why you listen to the All Indie Raiders podcast. It's just we're talking about life lessons. Good life lessons. Good suggestions on what to read. Good suggestions on what to watch. Movies from the nineties. Terrible therapy shows off of VH1. All these things. These are good things for you to all to know about. Okay. Uh, there's going to be a picture of the puppet I use for, oh for Yolanda. I forgot. <laughs> and I think we're going to wrap it up there. So that's all we have for you today. I want to thank Princess for joining me yet again, and hopefully she won't get sick of this because I really do love having her here on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, really. I do always have a good time, and I I think that you are probably one of the better podcasts out there with information. So hopefully you you guys got something out of this. So if you guys want me to tackle something specific in a future episode, you can submit your writing-related questions in one of three ways. You can use the contact form at com slash podcast. You can email me at Jen, which is J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com, or you can leave me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at com slash podcast 19, plus a puppet picture of Yolanda Prinzel. And you can also access the podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions, including some former audio plays that I created with Yolander, by visiting Freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a Freelance Theater Production. Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.